The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Hello and welcome to the Connected Table Live. We're your hosts, Melanie Young and David Ransom, your insatiably curious culinary couple. Each week we bring you the dynamic people who work front and center and behind the scenes in food, wine, spirits, and hospitality. Uh, We lead a delicious life and we enjoy traveling around the world, um, taking you to exciting destinations and places to meet the people that shape the world of eating and drinking. And Bringing it back to you. You're listening live. Today is March 25th, 2020, and we are on live W4CY radio. Um, and this show, of course, is podcast to iHeartRadio permanently. Um, Dave and I are kind of lucky. It's, we're still in the middle of this global pandemic that is impacting our industry, our global hospitality, restaurant, wine industry in a, in a terrible way. But we know that many people are at home. And they are drinking wine. In fact, the irony of it all is that wine sales uh, online are up. And spirit sales are up. Yeah, people are drinking. And you know what? They spiked even more when the schools let out and kids had to be homeschooled. I was just on the phone with a psychologist on my other show. We talked about how last week there was just big bursts and people saying, I need help. So, you know, I, 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 think there's a, I think there's an Instagram page for that called Mommy Needs Vodka. Yeah, there is. It's called Mommy Needs Vodka. So the silver lining, if you can call it a silver lining, and we have to stay positive, is that, you know, uh, spring is coming. It's here. And we got a picture from our, one of our friends in Italy from Bud Break. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a sign of renewal. People are looking for ways to learn about wine and food. And we feel it is our job and responsibility at the connected table to keep everybody connected and to keep going. And for that reason, we are going to focus the first part of our show on taking our listeners somewhere and transporting them away from the news, somewhere pleasurable that we hope you will visit. We were fortunate enough to have gone to the Rhone Valley just before the lockdown happened. And in fact, in fact we came back the last day of yeah. free travel, which was And it was, was it was a return pretty, visit. Pretty lucky for us. We had been there last year and one of the places that we visited last year and we got to visit with the Vintner again this year is the Vontu area in the southern Rhone, which is a spectacular area. It's a UNESCO World Heritage site with a stunning mountain, and we actually saw Mont Ventoux on a clear day. We did actually, and, and and there was actually snow on it when we were there too, because there was there yeah. was some cold weather that had passed through and some storms, and it, and it dropped a blanket of snow over the top of Mont Ventoux. So it was really absolutely beautiful while we were there. So it's it, Mont Ventoux is a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve since 1990. Uh, it's very historic. Um, vines have grown there since ancient times. There's been archaeological digs that have found vines dating in pottery from first century BC and ancient amphora. Um, we have joining us from um, Vontu, which is an AOC, uh, a wonderful producer and really a beautiful estate also. Um, Frederick Chaudier is a family member and proprietor of um, Chateau Pesquier. Uh, it is. This is a, a this is a very old estate, but it didn't become a winery until uh, much later in the 1980s. Um, and the, and the 
AOC was only founded in 1973. So Chateau Pesquier's family actually took over this estate, which was owned by a Provençal um, author mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s and was a pioneer in the area. And, and just so people know, uh, Ventoux is east of Avignon. Right. A little bit. And um, just north of the Luberon. So to give you context as, as to where the Ventoux lies in the southern Rhone. And it's really a beautiful area, picturesque area. And it's been growing grapes and making wine for literally millennia. But um, why don't we ask Frédéric Chaudier, yeah. uh, our guest, to tell us about that part of it and uh, introduce Chateau Pesquier's owner, Frédéric, to the show. Welcome, Frédéric. Thank you very much. Hi, hi, Melanie. Hi, David. Uh, and hi, everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be with you uh, today. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to help uh, everyone travel a little bit to the, the <laughs> southeast of the Rhone Valley to, to our Ventoux area. And um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a very strong history uh, when it comes to vines and winemaking in, in the Ventoux area. The, initially, like in many places in Europe, it's the Romans who, who brought uh, vines and wines to, to the area and to, to the Rhone Valley in general. Um, you know, the Rhone Valley is a major communication way and so people were traveling and uh, that's that's how the the, the the vines spread you know up to Burgundy and and much further to, to Germany and everywhere but so th- there is definitely historically a very important Roman uh, moment about 2000 years ago and um, I would say there's a, there's a second very important moment historically for our area which is um, the influence of the popes, you know, the, the, the moment when the, the popes decided to settle in, um, in Avignon in the 14th century. Um, and um, I'm sure, you know, m- many people that are listening today are familiar with Chateauneuf-du-Pape, well, which is super close to, to Avignon. And in, in the Ventoux and at Pesquier, we're about 35 kilometers, so a bit, a bit more than 20 miles and east of Chateauneuf, exactly at the, at the same latitude. So definitely um, a, a strong history in the region uh, for, for vine growing, lots of old vines, which is uh, something we're very blessed to have and helping us to make better wines. Um, but we, you know, in a way, the tradition of uh, uh, making high-end terroir wines uh, which is really what we're trying to do at Chateau Pesquier, it's, it's rather young. So um, my family played a pioneer part, but we, we, we have the chance now to, to have been joined by lots of uh, newcomers, new winemakers in, in the last two decades. And, uh, and I would say that the, the Ventoux is booming. Well, you know, we got that feeling as well while we were there. There, there were a lot of young winemakers that had um, and and people that had decided that Ventoux was where they wanted to invest and and start their wine career and and create their wineries. And I think that's a really exciting time to be kind of on the cutting edge and and the forward edge, shall we say, mm-hmm. of a region that's really starting mm-hmm. to boom. Uh, you must be very pleased to see that happening around you. Uh, um, absolutely, we we feel uh, less alone, and 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 we're we're extremely happy by the by that uh, of that. Day. Dynamic. Something that's unique to Vantu um, that we really want to underscore is that this is a region that is about 56% red wines, but um, a lot of rosé uh, wines and white. So many of the regions that we've been to in the Rhone are, are red dominant. 
mm-hmm. in the south with Grenache. But but Vantu has a, a, a nice balance of wines. And a lot of that's because of the soils. You, last year when we visited you, you took us up and around the estate to see all the different soils. So let's talk to that effect about that fairly unique aspect of Vantu. Yeah, in, in many ways, the... the I would say, well, the, what really defines the Vontu is its kind of cooler climate. So this, this really gives it a strong identity. But when it comes to, um, might it be varieties or geology, um, uh, the Vontu is definitely a patchwork. Um, I, I suppose um, that um, that's, that's definitely um, because of the, you know, being at the foot of a mountain, the the coming out of of the of the mountain itself created this this incredible uh, soil diversity and so we have a lot of limestone if if you look at pictures of our mountain um, chances are that as you were lucky enough to see a few weeks ago it will be snow but most of the rest of the time it's just pure rock it's pure limestone at the summit of the of the mountain, and and limestone is a is a key component of our terroir. Um, it's um, one of the reasons why there is such a great potential for making very fresh mineral um, white wines. And um, we we also have um, a lot of clay and limestone mixed. It would be the probably the dominant kind of terroir for red wines. But we do have also pockets of sand, a little bit of marl, and so um, the the sandy soil are, are great to make uh, um, more elegant and um, um, you know very fine grenache. Um, but but they're also amazing to make rosé, and which um, so it, it does explain that that diversity of types of wines that uh, we we can provide in the Vento area. Um, and the grapes, we're getting a couple of people saying they can't wait to visit. And I'm going to say on the limb, this is really a great area, not a lot of crowds. So if you're looking for a place to go yes. that's not crowded, you're going to love Vontu. Yeah. And there's some great hiking and biking. And one of the <laughs> nice things about it is that there's always a new place to find as you go around the corner. This is There's no Route 29 like Napa Valley has where all the right. wineries are all lined up in a row. You really have to kind of – you have to you have to drive a little bit from winery to winery. And it's really a beautiful area. I'd and, move and there. there. And there's lots of, lots of other things to do in between. It's yeah. also a very famous biking area right. for people that like – for people that like road biking, and obviously Mont Ventoux, which is where the Ventoux gets its name, is mm-hmm. on the northern edge of the region, and the Tour de France actually goes up Mont Ventoux. It's, it's pretty one of the, amazing. It's one, the, it's one of the classic stages of the Tour de France. Yeah. So we'll be traveling there soon, and everybody will. You know, let's talk about the wines, because as I, we mentioned at the top of the show, a lot of us are sitting at home in the United States, and we're ordering wine online. And we want to underscore that your wines are imported in the United States by European sellers. And we had the chance to taste some of your latest releases when we had dinner with you in Carpentras at Shea Surge, which is a really famous truffle-driven restaurant when we do travel back. Let's talk about, um, first of all, let's start with these white wines and talk about, let, let our listeners know a little bit about what these special grapes are that are grown in the Vontu and what, how they create and contribute to the spirit of the white wines in this region. Well, the, the, the most, we, so we do have lots of variety, you know, not only it is a geological patchwork, but we, we have this great um, varietal diversity. But for, for whites, we mostly work with four varieties that would be Viognier. Roussan, Clairette, 
not not to be confused with claret um, and 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 grenache blanc. Um, so we at Pesquet we have three um, white cuvées. One, the first one, Terrasse Blanc, is a blend of the of the four varieties with a, a, a little bit more Viognier than the other three. And um, then we have another two cuvées, one called Quintessence, which is much more an expression of of Roussan. And um, there's a, a cuvée Juliette that will be launched in a, in a couple of months that will be more an expression of Claret. What's nice about these was they're very food friendly. And for anyone in the United States who's not really a, quote, Chardonnay person or a Sauvignon person, they're going to love these wines. They're very aromatic. Um, they're some of my favorite. I'll go on a limb and say. And they, and they have great acidity, too. Even though even though the Rhone itself, where the Ventoux lies, is a is a fairly warm climate and, and has mm-hmm. a lot. Ventoux is... Vantu is on the cooler side of that mm-hmm. region. So these wines really show great freshness and acidity as well. And we want to underscore to our listeners, because um, we did have a question. We have a screen and can see questions. You can buy these wines online. Um, you know, we always just say go to wine, wine-searcher.com and you can put in Chateau Pesquier. That's Chateau and it's spelled P-E-S-Q-U-I-E. We'll talk about what the name means shortly. And they'll list everywhere in the United States that you can buy the wines by varietal and price and ship. And right now everybody is shipping. So if you go to wine-searcher.com, you can find the wines. Um, we talked about the whites. Um, you also make rosés. We're heading into rosé season here. Um, we actually saw a drive through rosé area in the Hamptons already because everybody's picking up wine and drinking right now. Um, what are the re- uh, rosés made um, with mainly um, in 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 the Ventoux? It's like thirty percent of your wines are rosé. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, the you know the, if we if we come to red and rosé varieties. Right. Then- the main varieties are Grenache and Syrah, but but really the king variety for rosé is Cinso for me, mm-hmm. and because Cinso has a kind of bigger berry, uh, very thin skin, it, it it helps having you know this kind of great acidity, low alcohol, very pale rosé type, um, and so for us um, we we usually work on blends with Cinso and Grenache with just a touch of rosé. Um, that's what we do for the terraces rosé. And um, it is grown mostly on limestone, but part of the sinso is grown on sand because the sandy soil will help, you know, having kind of uh, lighter style expressions. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we are in the southeast of the Rhone Valley and so really at the border with Provence. And uh, so we, we're kind of a, a crossroad between the, the, the Southern Rhone and the Provence uh, rosé traditions in terms of style. Which, and everybody loves Provence rosé. Yeah. You know, before we get to the reds, I want to talk about the, the region itself and, and where it gets its influence a little bit. When we had dinner with you a couple of weeks ago in Provence, in, um, in Ventoux, you, you you said this to me. You said what excites you about Ventoux is that the terroir and climate is different than in any of the other regions of the Rhone, and because it gets its climatic influence from the mountain and not the Rhone Valley itself. Why don't you tell us about that and and describe that a little bit for our listeners? Absolutely. The, the what what really makes the Ventoux area um, stand out is is that that cooler climate. Well, the the Ventoux mountain itself is is um, 
about 2,000 meters high, so let's say 6,500 feet. And um, so it's a, it's a quite serious mountain, the, the, the highest summit of the lower Alps. And from, from the mountain, the cool air comes down and we have lots of um, like very strong differences of temperatures between uh, warm days and cool nights, which really helps our vines to, to kind of rest at night. And um, it helps fixing the color, the tannins, um, create better acidity and thus better balance in, in the wines. And, and the, the key word for any wine in, in the Ventoux is freshness, because this is really the, the echo in the wine of that cooler climate that, that we get thanks to the, the elevation and, and the kind of cool air currents coming down from the mountain. And it's so, really nice, right? Really, I can. It, it was like that when we were there. It was a perfect balance of weather. Yes, it really was. Yeah, it's great for it's great for vines, but it's it's not too bad for humans as well because we we do have <laughs> very warm summers, and and you know we 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 have cool nights. So it's uh, it's like uh, yeah, we have natural air conditioning at night. That sounds pretty pretty enjoyable. Well, that is, that's so true. You know, uh, I want to talk about the estate a little bit because uh, when I first saw it, as we drove down the hill towards it, I said, wow, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Right. Uh, it's just, a, it's a beautiful, chat, beautiful chateau set in the middle of a valley, surrounded by vineyards, yet it's also, there's a wildness to it as well. Why don't you tell us about the show, chateau and, and how your family came to own it? Because you're not the original owners. Uh, no. your, fam your family purchased it, but it is distinctly yours now. So let's talk about that. Well, the, the, the name Pesquier um, comes from Latin, uh, Pesquarium, and um, basic, basically the, what is the, the, the original uh, wealth of that place is water, because uh, the Pesquarium in Latin is, is linked to, the vocab to, to natural springs. And so there are two natural springs that are crossing under where now the chateau has been built, and a third spring that that is at the border of the estate. So in a in a way, at Pesquet, we we're kind of turning water into wine, you know. But we we have that that great um, chance to have um, easy access to water, and in in our dry climates, this is of course extremely important. And um, and overall, you know, the the the, the Ventoux kind of as this um, a part of being a, a kind of reservoir and, 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 and bringing all, all this uh, uh, water access to, to, to our vines. Um, and and as, as for my, my, my family, indeed, well, I'm, I'm the third generation now. Um, it's my grandparents who, who acquired the estate in, in the early 1970s. So... Um, right before the Ventoux actually became an AOC, that was in 1973. And, um, and so it was first um, our grandparents, René and Odette, who, who were kind of pioneers and who restructured uh, parts of the, of the vineyards at the time. Um, and then my parents, Paul and Edith, who, who took over in the mid 80s and who actually created the winery because for for the first 20 years nearly we were we were grapes grower um, but 
but we were not really winemakers. So it's only 1990 that uh, the, the winery was created. And still at that time, we were one of the first 10 independent wineries of, um, of the Vendue area. And um, it will soon be 20 years. It's been like wow. 17 years now that we, we've taken over with my brother, Alex. Um, and we're, we're trying to, to take the estate to the next level. Uh, uh, and you know, there, there's a fourth generation on the way. We, are, we have, uh, uh, my brother has two, two sons and uh, I have a son and a, and a little girl arriving normally in three weeks. So uh, we, uh, we, we, have some, we have some good news normally uh, well, com- coming soon in these gloomy times. So. Well, congratulations. Well, congratulations. And we look forward to hearing the results. Um, you, you know, uh, you've, I want to let our listeners, especially in the U.S., know that you are available all over the place. Um, the wines are imported in the U.S. by European sellers, a uh, wonderful importer. And um, and I know European so sellers can hook you up with them being available online because a lot of people can't go to stores right now. But you are you are available in the stores in the U.S. Yeah, Let's talk about the red wines. I want to make sure we, we, we talk about um, what makes the wines in this area unique in the grapes. And, and, and let's give it a sense of um, we're talking mainly to an American audience who may want to know, you know, what are these wines like in terms of enjoying with food? Well, so for the for the red wines, uh, they are mostly Grenache and and Syrah blends uh, on on the different kinds of terroir that we've mentioned. Um, and so, well, we the the you know as as usually they they kind of work quite well with the local gastronomy. So for us, it's going to be um, in, like grilled lamb would be ideal. Or we have uh, for the more structured wines of the range, like Quintessence or some of our single vineyards, you can have um, um, like a stew or like a, we, we call it la, la dobe d'Avignon, which is a, um, beef cheek cooked in red meat. Uh, for a few hours um, and there's I mean overall you will find the, the characteristic of most southern Rhone wines which would be you know uh, red berries pepper a, lo- a lot of spice and uh, and and herbs but with with a lift with uh, again you know that kind of uh, freshness uh, that is um, you know the, the echo of our cooler climate now your wines, they're Grenache based. You also use a lot of uh, a good amount of Syrah, smaller amounts of Syrah, and your Ross Rouge. And we also tasted um, Silica and Asensio, yes. um, which and, and these are all made from very old vines. But um, give us a sense of the differences in these different three different reds. Well, the the Terrasses Rouge is um, is really a general blend of the estate. So it's sixty percent Grenache, forty percent Mourvèdre, but uh, 60%, 40% Syrah, sorry, mm-hmm. but there's, there are touches of Mourvèdre, Sanseau, Carignan, and Marcelon. And it is a, um, a very bright um, blend, um, quite, quite dominated right now by the Grenache, which brings the, the red fruit. And, and, um, but the, the Syrah character adds a bit of structure and, and a floral touch. And as for Celica, or Asensio, they are, they are parts of um, our single vineyard. So Celica is 
really Grenache dominated but on a, on a sandy soil. So it's, um, it's a very intense but a very elegant um, expression of Grenache. Um, when um, when Asensio is more on the clay and limestone side, it's, it's bolder um, expression of Grenache as well, but with more concentration, more power. So definitely for a, a more um, concentrated, a, a more powerful dishes. And we have a third one which is called Artemia, which is more on the Syrah side and more in the on the flour and and on the licorice kind of uh, a more northern Roman style. And I just want to let our listeners know, again, um, you can find, I'm on wine-searcher.com now, and I typed in Chateau Pesquier. Again, it's P-E-S-Q-U-I-E, and you can um, hit all, a number of wines will come up, and you can hit a vintage. We tasted um, the most recent vintages, which were 2018, I believe. We had a 2017 Asensio. But you can type in and, and, and put U, U, USA, and then li- literally pull up all the United States um, retailers that, that provide and ship by state. And that's how you can find these wines, and frankly, any wine, uh, if you want to order wine online. It's an easy way to do it. It really is. Um, so uh, we tasted some re- recent releases. How was the last harvest for you, um, which is now done? Um, 2019 is a very exciting vintage. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we had, uh, in the same time, a lot of sun. And we so g- great concentrations in the wine. And, and still, you know, that, that freshness that I, I keep um, repeating about. But the... The great acidity in, and, and great concentration. So I think it's going to be a, a quite memorable vintage, um, probably among, among the best in the decade. Well, that's good news. Well, that's it, good to hear. Well, it means we're going to have to come back. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, again, for our <laughs> listeners, um, this is a beautiful area. What we're talking about is the AOC um, Vantu, V-E-N-T-O-U-X. It is in the Southern Rhone, um, just north of the Luberon in Provence, a beautiful place to visit, stunning wines, easily and widely available in the United States. We encourage you to travel there when you can. Um, do you have a visitor center um, at Chateau Pasquier? Absolutely, we we you can you can uh, we're we're open in season um, um, every, every day, and we're we're only closed on on Sundays out of season. Uh, you can come and taste our wines. You can book a visit. You can even book a picnic in our gardens, and um, we we definitely are. I mean, want to receive you. We're very happy to have you coming in in the Ventoux and at our chateau. So uh, please don't don't hesitate. Once we can move and travel again to to pay us a visit, you'll you'll be welcome. Hopefully, that will be soon, and and you can be assured that one of the first places we're going back to is France um, when we go back because we had two trips cancel on us this month. That's very true. <laughs> sure. But we're grateful that we were able to spend time with you, not only this year in uh, Carpentras. Again, we were at Chez Serge, highly recommended restaurant, tasting your wines and seeing you, but also visiting with you at Chateau Pasquier last year. And we're so glad that, one, your family is doing well, and you will be um, having a little girl who one day will be running the winery. 
And <laughs> and we want to thank you for your time today on the Connected Table Live. Frederick it was a great Chaudier. pleasure. Thank you very much, Melanie. Thank you very much, Frederick, uh, for thank joining you. us. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Folks, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back, and we're going to talk about some of the current events going on. And ways to support restaurants, but also if you are in the business, and if you are someone who has lost their job, or works in food service, or wants to support a restaurant, or are a restaurateur, or in the anyone, um, we have a, a marketing hospitality expert on, Jennifer Baum, founder of Bullfrog and Baum, who is going to provide some tips to help you. Um, I just attended her Instagram live um, session with a number of people in the marketing area as well as restaurants. And it was very helpful. And she's going to share some advice, which I think we all could use right now. We're going to take a short break and we will be back. You're listening to the Connected Table Live on W4CY Radio. And we're back. You're listening to The Connected Table Live with Melanie Young and David Ransom. That was a great segment we just did with Frederick Chaudier from uh, Chateau Pesquier in France. We're going to switch gears and kind of take you back to the United States. Um, as we've said at the top of the show, it's March um, It's March 25th, uh, 2020, and we've been dealing with uh, a global pandemic called coronavirus, which has really um, caused quite a crisis in the world, but especially in the restaurant and hospitality industry, because the entire industry had to shut down, which is unprecedented. Um, we decided to invite a longtime friend and colleague uh, who is an expert in this area to join us to talk about how restaurants at any time, but especially now, but anytime since this is an evergreen show, um, can deal with um, coping in times of crisis and how those people who work with them, such as marketing and hospitality PR experts, can pivot, as we say, to um, keep everybody's business going, because that's what it's all about. Jennifer Baum is the owner and founder of Bullfrog and Baum. She is um, a leading restaurant and hospitality marketing public relations consultant. Her business is well over 20 years. I've known her since she started it. She was named one of the top women in the travel and hospitality industry by a major media magazine. And we have been in touch regularly um, with people in our community to support them during um, this time and forever. So Jennifer, welcome to the Connected Table Live. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to, nice to be talking to you. So you really are in the front line. Um, I attended an Instagram um, live chat that you did with industry people, and you really are in the front line of advising businesses in the hospitality industry on how to present themselves and market themselves when times are up and times are down. And we all know this is a business, particularly with restaurants, where margins are very, very tight. Um, we're dealing with some crises now. Um, how, first of all, how are you doing and your company and, and your clients? Well, first of all, thank you very much for asking me that. I just had a conversation with another business owner, and we were talking about how we are so deep in it that um, not everybody understands that we're struggling as well. Um, I had a client ask me that question. I almost started like crying on my Zoom meeting. I held it together. But thank you for asking. I'm doing okay. Um, you know, this is what we do. We, we help our clients out in times of crisis. And 
whatever that crisis is, and we work around the clock to make sure that they're in a good place and that their messages are clear, um, that they're taking care of themselves and their teams in the best way that they can. Um, but I also have to take care of myself and my team. So I'm doing okay. You know, I, I take it day by day. Everything changes so quickly um, that we, we can plan for the now, um, and it's difficult to plan for the future. Well, I, you know, I think that's an interesting point that you make, and, and a lot of it has to do with emotional support because you have to support, um, support your clients emotionally and physically, but you also have a team that's under you because you're a business owner that you have to support and, and prop up at the same time when everybody's going through a really, really rough time. Uh, how important is it for everyone to keep in touch with your staffs? Uh, because you're obviously not working all together in one office right now because everybody has to socially isol- isolate themselves. Uh, and t- how do you keep in touch with them and see how they're doing and, and, and help them through the process? And keep of, spirits up. Of, of, of keeping yeah. their spirits up. Yeah, so we, I, I have to say we're a very, very collaborative office. And being um, physically apart from one another, um, we're still really connected. So we've maintained... Our biweekly all staff meetings, we're doing it as a Zoom. We've maintained our weekly um, director meetings. We do it by Zoom. Every team leader has maintained their weekly meetings. We've, um, for the clients who we are still working with right now, we are maintaining all of those meetings. So we're trying to maintain as much structure as possible. And I will say that it feels like we've been isolated for a year. It's only been not quite two weeks. And we have already hosted like five office happy hours virtually. So if that's the best way to do it, then that's what we're doing. Um, We did an interesting one the other day where we invited all of our clients to participate. And, you know, Melanie, you may remember when you had an agency, you always treated each client as if they were the only client in, in, in the roster. Yeah. And only when it did it, when it made sense, did you bring them together? Well, we decided, you know what, we're going to invite everybody and whoever wants to join will join. And it was terrific. Like one of our clients was sitting out on their balcony with a drink and, you know, one was with his wife out on Long Island somewhere, you know, and it's also fun to see everybody's the room that they choose to, um, to, uh, you know, um, be in while we do these. But what was really interesting with that happy hour was not only did we all get to talk, but the, the few clients who were on, and I will say not a lot, a lot of them didn't, and they're very busy doing other things, but the few that were on actually shared information that they each had individually and shared it. And now we're connecting them offline so that they can support one another and share their resources for themselves and for their teams. And to me, sure, it was great that, you know, everyone from Bullfrog got to have yet another cocktail and for some of our clients to meet team members they don't work directly with. But what was more important to me was we were able to connect people to help each other um, with information. And right now, information is key. So that's one of the things we do. I'm trying really hard to be in touch with my team on a regular basis. We, we share, um, you know, I love LL Bean as a brand and they just shared like a video of an outdoor, a bunch of people fishing, but it was more of a feel good story. So you had a little bit of the nature and a little bit of the feel good. So I sent that around with some tags to some other 
videos if people are craving the outdoors. You know, I'm lucky. I'm outside of the city right now. I have the outdoors. People who are in the city, they're in their they're in their apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah, they're so crazy. They are, and you know, I'm I'm sending little gifts here and there to my team if something comes up in a conversation. I'm trying to acknowledge it um, with a little something. So well, it's Jennifer, hard. Jennifer, you we brought up something that I think is really important that I think is going to be a new trend um, because we have to look beyond this at some point. Right, right now we're in the thick of it. But the virtual yeah. the virtual cocktail hour, the virtual wine tasting, the virtual social gathering, um, I just did an article on this. Um, I think it's going to be a game changer. One, I wish I had stock in Zoom. And two, <laughs> and two, I think it's going to be game changer. And, you know, we have been, you know, I, I had my company was 90% special events and we still do some event um, advising. I think it's going to change a lot of ways we do business in the food and beverage industry, starting with um, wine and food events. I mean, you and I were both at a major event, um, CCAP, Careers Through Culinary Arts Profession, where there's about a thousand um, mm-hmm. industry people. And I, I reflected on that yesterday during our mental health walk. And I thought, my God, almost everybody in the industry was there. We chatted briefly. And now I thought, my God, a lot of those people may never come back and be in business. That's true. Sobering. But also, will those kinds of events still continue? I mean, are you thinking, are you in right now? I know you're in, you guys are in advising your clients in crisis mode, but are you also think about how in the long term are you going to be advising clients and should other agency and events people advise their clients about organizing wine and food events, for example? Look, I think the format of them is going to change. And I, one, one thing that I find interesting is, you know, if you follow even the trajectory of, South Beach Wine and Food um, and New York Wine and Food, they added so many more smaller, intimate events. Now, small is relative, but they are smaller, in, more intimate, more manageable-sized events that people really love. They, they sell out really fast. You know, people are going to have to think a little bit differently on how they organize these events because the other thing is the reason there are these big events with, with you know, huge guest list is because the goal of so many of these events is to raise money. I just got um, an email and I've gotten many, but I was thinking about it because I knew I was going to be speaking to you that um, uh, taste of hope, which is an American cancer society event is postponed and maybe canceled. And, you know, charitable causes rely on these events to make a lot of money. So how, are we going to not only change the format of the event, but how are we going to continue to raise money for these really important causes? And this was always a great way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, yeah, taste of the nation. I mean, think about that's I mean, right. The, they the all raise and, money. Yeah, the wine and food um, industry was always the first asked to donate and mm-hmm. provide, and the chefs were always there. And one, a lot of those restaurants are not coming back, or two, they're coming back in a different way. And three, you know, I think hand sanitizers are going to be like de rigueur at all these events now. Well, by the way, you know, who needs a gift bag? Just give me hand sanitizer. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And your personal. You know, who, need, who needs truffle oil? I don't need truffle oil. Give me a hand sanitizer. But I think about, and then there are the events that you are both so familiar with, which are wine tastings, right? The oh. way the wine professionals get access to, you know, products in the most efficient way, and not wow. only to the product, but to their industry colleagues from around the world are these, these 
very robust wine tasting events right. that I'm sure you've been to some just in the last few months yeah. that are crowded yeah. and there's a lot of leaning and tasting spitting. and spitting and touching and you know, it's part of the DNA of that event. And, and the culture and that's of many not about raising money. That's about raising awareness. Exactly. It's a cultural thing. We were at the expo. Um, we were at another giant event for Barbaresco and oh, so huge. And I carry, I have always, I, I have actually given workshops on how to organize a better, safer, more effective event because I like smaller and intimate. And sometimes I'm hired to lecture on that. I'm a big believer in having your, um, having hand sanitizer in your purse. I'm a big believer in carrying your personal spit cup. I think that's incredibly yeah. important and creating space. I think going for large numbers, I understand fundraisers, but going for large numbers is not going to be the case anymore. People are going to want more and smaller and create more space, whether it's a dining event or a wine event, or even we talked about um, with some real estate friends, the fact that restaurants may want to be spacing out their tables more. Yeah, well, I was was thinking about that too. And the issue there is, you know, anyone who understands restaurant operations knows that the crowding of tables is for two reasons. One, it's to get as many seats as possible in your space because of your rent. Right. But it's also, but you know, you know, you go to a restaurant where the tables are, think about every, every bistro and brasserie in, in Paris. The tables are right. practically on top of each other. And right. that's by design because human connection creates energy and the energy creates a great environment and it makes people want to be there. So it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. what happens there. And, and, you know, table spacing is as much a financial, um, a, a financial move as it is an environmental move, you know, an atmospheric move. Yep. I think that it'll change. I, I think that there's going to be some changes in how people look at the way things are. And actually, sometimes that's good because in hindsight, for some of these, they were not even wheelchair accessible. And that I was mean, always well, an issue yeah. with me. Yeah. So I have a right. question for you. I mean, a lot of these things are going to be yeah. addressed. In exactly. A Another question for you and uh, on your Instagram live feed, which was very good and very well attended. We talked about using social media in new ways. I mean, restaurants are, if, and this is for what now and for the future. If your restaurant is closed or your restaurant is about to open or, or just, you know, what we call business downtime, what are ways mm-hmm. to effectively use social media to stay, and this is such a big buzzword now, relevant? Yeah, I'm making a list of all the buzzwords. Some some are great. Some I'd like to rebrand. Um, <laughs> so, look, I think staying relevant has always been a thing. It's it's why I have a job, quite frankly, right? There's there's all kinds of stages in a restaurant or a brand or company's life, and PR plays a big role in all of them. Um, look, I think that I think that everything we do now, whether it's a social media play or a direct-to-consumer marketing play has to be done in a sensitive way, right? So right now, your restaurant may be closed, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be in touch with your 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 family of followers. I mean, right. I have a client that's choosing not to do anything on social, and I, I'm hoping that that will change soon because I think people want to hear from you. It's that, there, there are certain chefs and restaurateurs who people just adore and they, they like to think they're part of your real family. And so when you're gone, they actually miss you. 
Um, and so I think there's a way to do it. I think, you know, I have a client whose restaurants are closed, but he's posting what he's cooking. He's still posting things from his restaurants, but the tonality of the comments and the, and the writing with the social media is more sensitive. It's, um, it's not in your face. It's not tone deaf. I mean, there is somebody on Instagram who keeps posting these dishes and recipes, but never acknowledges, hey, you may not have these ingredients on hand, but you can substitute this or you can substitute that. Exactly. Or, you know, somebody like that should be only posting recipes that you can pull from five ingredients in your pantry. And, oh, and if you're lucky enough to have a few lemons lying around or if you're about to make your biweekly shopping trip, right, because that's what people are starting to mm -hmm. advise, make sure you have these four ingredients so that you can make this when you get back from the grocery store. Like, it, you know, yeah. there's so tonality that, that should be in place that um, – that people need to pay attention to. And that doesn't mean you can't promote yourself. And I think, I think restaurants that are doing delivery and when they have a new dish on the menu or all of a sudden there, you're able to order online or, Hey, now we're doing porch pickup or you should promote that. Um, and you shouldn't feel uncomfortable. I have a friend who's in the Virginia DC area. She's a pastry chef. She has a bakery and she's struggling with how do I connect with my my get my customers, my, my clientele. And I gave her a few suggestions of putting some videos, videos up. Mm -hmm. You're at home, you're eating a box of cookies. They could be Oreos. Hey, what wine should I drink with these cookies? Or, right. you know, make something in your own home kitchen. Or I finally got her to feel comfortable offering to bake bread for people, which is one of those things that people are hoarding. Did you know that they're hoarding toilet paper? And well, I bread. knew toilet. Well, I didn't know about bread. Well, you know, you could wipe your ass with Bread. So it is. But bread is one of those things. So I said to her, she's like, oh, you know, I make a meal. I never knew what to do with that nasty white loaf bread. Now I do. Listen, there's a restaurant up where my where I am now, and they're doing takeout, and he he's gonna send a roll of toilet paper with each takeout order. Well, you know, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I read that on the couple of people are doing that. You've got to be resourceful. And I think that the buzzword here, and you said it, I'm going to reiterate it. You've got to... You got to pivot. That's another. You got to change the conversation. You got to keep the conversation going. You can't just disappear because it's really hard to come back. Trust me. I agree. Change the conversation. So you do have to think about because I just did um uh, an article and and somebody sent me a a cocktail recipe. I'm like nobody has this at home. Nobody's gonna go out and buy you know chartreuse right now unless they happen to have it in the back of their cupboard. I said you know. Keep it simple. So the key is change the conversation and think about your audience and picture where they are. So your your customers are at home. They're stuck at home. They can't go out. What's in their cupboard? What's in their refrigerator? What's in their bar cabinet? And tell them how to cook that. And then you're really Absolutely. And, and a friend of mine, um, Kalu Henry, who has a great feed, she actually lives up here now. And she is... She started something, I guess, I mean, again, I have no concept of how long I've been here, but she started something last, last week where she was asking people to post their meals, and she did a hashtag, other people's meals. And so people are going crazy. They're posting, you know, a pasta dish with whatever was in their pantry, or there was one guy who was like, wow, you're a good shopper because you have the best ingredients. So there are ways to do it and make it part of community. 
one thing that I spoke about on my Instagram um, Q&A was ways to engage with your clientele that might be unexpected. And I talked about how you can send an e-blast that talks about your, your, um, your delivery or special things or, or that kind of thing, and you can post on social media. But wouldn't it be amazing if somebody reached out to their database who we assume is part of their, you know, past, present clientele and ask them how they're doing. And I got today and I said that yesterday and today there's a a shoe brand that has been sending emails about sales every day. And I'm like, Oh, if only I was, you know, thinking about buying something now would be the time, (laughs) but, but I'm not. But today they sent a really terrific email that basically said, you know, look, we have been, you know, yes, we can offer you sales and we can do this and we're hoping you buy their, their company based in Italy. Mm-hmm. They said, but we also want to take a moment to ask how you are. They mm-hmm. gave an email address. They gave a phone number. They said, you can just shoot us an email. You can post how you're feeling or give us a call. We're happy to talk to you. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. We do that with every e-blast. We always start out with saying we're thinking about you. You know, we, we have a listenership all around the world, and especially in Italy, which is terribly affected, France and Spain. And you know, Spain, we uh, we yeah. have we have reached out personally to almost everybody, or through our email blast, to say we're thinking of you and yeah. trying think you know just, just little little things. It's it's so important, and as as communication specialists to stay connected. Right, David? It's so true. I mean, we've we've reached out to a number of people in Europe and they've they've been so grateful that we have reached mm-hmm. out to them and, and and you know, we're getting we're getting the updates from especially Italy on just what it's like there from the inside and it, it means a lot to us I, too because it's a place yeah. Italy and Spain and France, we go there all the time. So, so Jennifer, you yeah. said something very you said something very profound um, when we were talking yesterday. And I want to bring it up. I want to make sure we get this on air. You said, and I think it's so important because I've been in your shoes. I've had my own eight communications agency. And also, often public relations executives are the unsung heroes. And they're called on. They're the first to be called on when there's a problem. And they're the first to be fired when there's a problem. Okay? <laughs> Let's be real about that. Um, you said that sometimes you feel like the public relations consultants are the band that's playing while the Titanic is sinking. Yeah. Just if anybody has ever seen, I actually think it was in the movie, but it really, it really did happen. And it's in all the documentaries that, um, you know, the captain of the Titanic instructed the band not to stop playing. It was like more of an orchestra than a band, but um, yeah. And the reason they didn't want them to stop playing was because they wanted to keep people thinking things were okay. And they wanted to keep people upbeat Um, but while the ship is literally sinking and, and yeah, I mean, not to be morbid, but you know, in day two of this craziness, I, I mentioned that that's how we felt because we, we were, you know, working around the clock to help our Mm -hmm. clients and provide messaging and answer questions and write. Mm -hmm. I mean, we wrote messaging upon messaging. And by the way, it was changing every hour. It was changing right. more, more frequently than it is now. And that's how it felt. You know, we were just doing everything we can to keep everybody boosted and everybody communicating and everybody in line. Um, and by the way, we had clients going through things not related right. to this um, virus. 
situation that we also had to manage. Um, and yeah, that's how it felt. And it's, it's our job. You know, we're not, it is. we're not saving lives like the medical professionals who are on the front line in, in such a big and such an important way. And man, are we grateful for all of those people? Um, but we, we choose this career and when things get tough, We've got to, you know, we've got to just dig our heels in. Um, right. So with that, with that in them. mind, with that in mind, and in about we have about two two minutes left. I want you to share a, you know, because it can be disc- it can be discouraging, because as I said, public relations executives are often the <laughs> first when there's a problem and the last at the first thing. What is your what do you want to say that's upbeat and reassuring to let people know let let industry people know who are thinking maybe I should fire my publicists now because I can't afford them and let publicists know that they're valued. How, what do you want to say to tell people stay the course? Because there is going to be a need. There continues to be a need and there will always be a need. So what can you say? Yeah, it's interesting because at one point in the height of all of this, I said to one of the people on my team, I was like, for all those people who say they don't need publicists, you know, and they are calling us like crazy. This is the job we chose. We understand the value of what we do. It changes, and you have to be able to pivot. I mean, one thing we always say about us as an agency is we're incredibly nimble. And I think if you enjoy being a part of this world, the world of communications, it's an exciting and fun and sometimes very frustrating world mm-hmm. to be in. I mean, we, you know, we always say we get – we, we don't get credit for anything good and we get blamed for the bad. Um, and we have our own systems in place for combating that. But, you know, if you love the work and you love helping people and you want to do it in a creative way that involves words and, and um, design and un- the understanding of a digital landscape, and also if you want to be in a world that really is ever-changing, like there are pluses and minuses to that. And, right. y- y- you know don't choose this career if you want everything to be the same every day. It's just not going to happen. And don't choose this career if you want to work nine to five, walk away and, and, you know, turn the lights out. It's not going to happen. There's always going to be a time where you got to work around the clock. Um, But I believe, listen, I also believe in, in books and, and printed paper and handwritten notes. So um, maybe I'm an optimist in that sense, but I believe that our role is important. And I believe that even in the restaurant industry where margins are so small and it's such an, it's such a, an outrageous expense for, um, for restaurants and smaller companies, there are ways to work with reputable, really smart, good um, PR and marketing agencies that are, can be affordable and beneficial. Well, Jennifer, so you know, <laughs> you see, Jennifer, thank you for saying the course. I think that was a very reassuring way to end. I mean, you know, for anyone listening out there, never take a good public relations consultant for granted. They, they are, they are your workhorse that gets you through the good times and the bad, and 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 particularly. Um, you know, in, in times like these. So Jennifer Baum, Bullfrog and Baum, um, thank you for joining us and sharing oh, some insights so and, and stay the course. We, we're grateful for people like you as well. Yeah. I, I will. And thank you. I'm grateful for people like you guys who are willing to talk to us and share our message. And I know you have a unique understanding because you've been there, but keep yep. doing what you're doing and reach out anytime. I'm happy to uh, come back on and chat with you. 
Our pleasure. It was great insight, and we really appreciate you coming on today. Have a great night, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to The Connected Table Live. As always, we encourage you to stay insatiably curious. Support your local restaurants by ordering in, buying gift cards, and as always, stay insatiably curious. You can hear this show always on iHeart, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Connected Table Live.